Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to the Ann Campaign's Church Politics Podcast, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a biblical worldview. We're not trying to be progressive or conservative. We're trying to be faithful Christians in the public square. This is the kingdom, the kingdom, yes it is, gotta spread the word. But you know good, Ann Camp. You're listening to the Ann Campaign's Church Politics Podcast with Justin Gibney. That's me and the Windy City representative, the baddest brother above the Mason-Dixon line, my play cousin, the right reverend, Christopher Butler. Now, Chris, when we initially recorded this uh, podcast episode, the Bears won. Now that we re-recorded, we're re-recording it, they actually lost. I want to talk about the win. Do you have any issues with that? I actually I don't. I'm I'm gonna go with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's fair because you know the first time that we did it, they had they had won, and so we'll, we'll act like they won. Uh, but but they've shown some promise, even in the game they lost. You know they've they've given my man uh, Justin Fields some a little more time to work with. He's been having some good games, so I'm feeling good about uh, the trajectory of this team right now. How about you? I am too, and they went and got him on a wide receiver at the trade deadline. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So the, they actually are making moves. So that's that's good. Well, Chris, you know, like I do that we have a special guest today. So we're going to not spend so much time on the pleasantries and just try to get right into it. But as always, as we say, we want to give a shout out to our donors. Um, number one, the Fetzer Institute for supporting us in what we do and how we do it. And for all you guys that give to us on Patreon.com and on the website, we greatly appreciate you because we would not be able to bring this content without you. But as usual, you know what it is. Grab your Bible, get your mind right, and prepare to think not like a Republican, not like a Democrat, but like a Christian. For those of you who've been listening, you remember a few weeks back, the right reverend shared his testimony about his late brother and the impact that marijuana had on him and some other folks in his community. That prompted me to do something that I've been really planning to do for about a year now, which is reach out to Dr. Kevin Sabat for an interview. Uh, I think I originally heard of him uh, from the Realignment podcast with Sagar and Marshall. uh, And then I got a chance to read his book, which was an excellent book. Dr. Sabat, a.k.a. the prodigy of drug politics and policy, is the author of Smokescreen, what the marijuana industry doesn't want you to know. He was an advisor in the White House's Office of National Drug Control Policy for the Obama administration for the Clinton administration and the Bush administration. He's been around for a while, and he is also a professor at Yale Medical School. Dr. Sabat, so good to have you. I know we had to re-record this, and so we really thank you for, for joining us again. Oh, it's fine. Thanks so much for having me, Justin and Chris. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is a this is a big one to me. I think that the marijuana conversation has changed so much in the past decade or two. And I wanted to bring you on because I think it's important for our audience to gain some perspective 
on what's really going on kind of behind the scenes and, and the getting overall the overall the overall context. So they're not just following the spirit of the day, because one thing that I have noticed is that even people in the church are viewing and talking about marijuana a lot more casually. Uh, if I didn't know better, I would think it was all fun and games that it was completely harmless. Can you briefly explain how you got into this marijuana conversation and then give us a brief history on the normalization of marijuana in America? Yeah, sure. Again, thanks for having me. Well, those two questions are in many ways, they're interlinked. I grew up in Southern California, uh, not far from Disneyland and Anaheim. And um, when I was a teenager, I heard rumblings about something called medical marijuana, which was a brand new term that had never been really used. Um, and it was the, st- the state was going to vote on medical marijuana for the first time in the, in the, in the country. And uh, at first, you know, I've had uh, uh, family members who've had, you know, died of cancer and have had painful experiences. And I saw the commercials saying this would cure cancer. So I thought maybe this is good. Uh, you know, and I, and I came from a house where we never had drugs or alcohol. So it wasn't about recreational. It was about, I thought, medical, true medical need. And um, I thought maybe that would be good. And then I did a little bit more digging and research. And I realized uh, that that this was mainly a PR move um, to rebrand marijuana in a way that makes it more acceptable. Because, uh, again, when you dig into the history of this whole movement, you know, there was a whole counterculture, obviously, in the 60s and 70s with Woodstock. They came very close to legalizing marijuana nationwide in the late 1970s. Uh, President Carter then uh, essentially endorsed a full decriminalization, which is different than legalization, but it was really going towards legalization. There was a, then a scandal with his then drug czar. Uh, there was a there was a, a major scandal um, with his drug czar who had to resign. And then Jimmy Carter had to you know deal with Ronald Reagan and try to get reelected, which was obviously ultimately unsuccessful. But uh, in doing so, you know, the, the, the whole move to legalize marijuana screeched to a halt when Jimmy Carter was trying to get reelected after the scandal. Uh, and the country changed, obviously, in the 80s. It was Reagan conservatism, very different environment. It was just say no, the Nancy Reagan campaign, which is arguably the most popular, widely known um, uh, uh, first lady campaign we've ever had before or since, I would say. Um, it's a phrase that everybody remembers. And so that that's the mark of a good campaign. Do you remember it? Uh, and so, you know, that happened. And so the country really rejected drugs. I mean, there was the crack epidemic. So anything related to drugs, you know, including marijuana, the country rejected in the 80s and 90s. Then the mid 90s came around, the legalization movement realized they had to rebrand. And that's when I was a teenager. And we get to the, where I started this idea of medical marijuana. Now, you know, there are components of marijuana that have medical purposes, but their idea was to say that all marijuana is medicine for any sort of, you know, use. It's medicine. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people underestimated that. A lot of officials, we actually had a letter from every living U.S. president. If you were to think about who were the living U.S. presidents in 1995, 96, it was Richard Nixon. It was Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, Ronald Reagan, George Bush, they all wrote a letter saying that this was a bad idea. It's amazing that that I don't think I don't know when that's happened. They wrote a letter saying medical marijuana is a Trojan horse to legalization. And a lot of people thought that's not true. It's just medical. But still, they thought it wouldn't pass. Well, lo and behold, it did pass. It had millions and millions of dollars behind it because basically the sort of AIDS movement of San Francisco 
interlinked arms with kind of the deep pocketed, more libertarian movement. And they linked, they, they were a powerful combination and they legalized medical marijuana. Well, they did that in state after state just now until, you know, here we are, uh, basically, you know, how long is that? 1996. So, you know, uh, 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 26 years later, uh, they've now legalized marijuana for any purpose, for all purposes, non-medical use uh, in about, you know, almost two dozen states, not quite. You know, it really, again, it started with le- let's legalize it for everything. Then it screeched to a halt. Oh, wait, we got to rebrand. We got to get we got to get some traction here. Medical. And then now back to recreational. And so the presidents and the other people who thought this was a Trojan horse for legalization, which is what I thought when I was 15, when I read the initiative myself, because I couldn't believe how loosely it was written. Unfortunately, we were right. Uh, This has been really uh, about the commercialization, I should say, not even legalization, the commercialization of of high potency marijuana, no limits on THC. You know, this isn't your Woodstock weed. So that's kind of where we are today. Do you know have any idea an estimate on how much money has been spent on this campaign? Oh, that's a great idea. I mean, that's a great question. I should say, uh, yes, I would say if you look at all the states plus other advocacy, we estimate almost a quarter or more of a billion dollars. So I would say between two hundred and fifty and three hundred and fifty million dollars uh, since the mid nineties. Wow. Go ahead, Chris. This is a, a really important conversation, I think. Uh, and, and Justin, you talked about it. You know, since the time we recorded the first podcast, actually yesterday, I just had like a a 25 minute conversation with somebody out on the church parking lot uh, who was telling me how she like got some some edibles to help get through the pandemic here in Illinois. And so we were just talking about this this money piece, though. And and this is a you know, we're a political podcast. And I was I was happy to see in in Dr. Sabat's book, the mention of some of the some of my colleagues here in the state of Illinois, like uh, State Representative LaShawn Ford, um, Teresa Haley from the NAACP. uh, And one, it was helpful to see that uh, that the struggle that we had in 2018-2019 in Illinois trying to stop uh, recreational marijuana uh, was a real thing and that we weren't, it wasn't like overblown in our own minds. But when you talk about the money that's been spent, it's not just like marketing uh, on, you know, like pushing this stuff, like there's money been directly spent in politics. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about, uh, about kind of like the influence peddling and the political uh, money and, and corruption that is also involved with expanding uh, kind of the marijuana legalization yeah. movement. Yeah, I mean, I wish I could say that people who have spent this money and raised this money to legalize uh, and commercialize you know, high potency THC. That's what we're talking about here. We're not, I don't, oh, by the way, I don't really care if an adult is smoking a joint in the privacy of their own home. I don't think it's good for you, but it's not something that I'm thinking about. I'm concerned about this industry promoting, you know, gummies, candies, concentrates is 99%, you know, vapes. I mean, these things are, would never be allowed to be, you know, um, sold if we actually knew what was in them. I mean, half, more than half the legislators, by the way, in these states, they have no idea their own state is selling this stuff. So it's just such a, it's, it's, it's just incredible what they're getting away with. But to answer your question, you know, it's one thing is to have like the true believers, like the people who just like, they really believe marijuana is the best thing since sliced bread and they're just trying to like use it and whatever. Okay. That's, I don't agree with them, but that's one thing. The issue is what you're talking about is much more sinister. There is a whole group 
of people in this country who are profiting off of this, uh, you know, marijuana being normalized and really the confusion around it. And many of those people were in Illinois, for example, elected officials who then later went to go work for the marijuana industry in one way or another. Toy Hutchinson, um, uh, that woman, uh, Kelly, I, I can't remember what it's Slater, I can't remember her name, uh, from Chicago suburb. Yeah, Cassidy, Kelly Cassidy, uh, and others who, you know, like her, her wife was is in the business. I mean, all this, like their families are in it. Governor Pritzker's cousin, Joby Pritzker, is a huge investor. He also serves on the board of the biggest marijuana um, advocacy organization in the country. At, at one point, he did, at least at that point. So, you know, this is there's so much corruption tied into this. Um, there's also corruption really on every level. There's corruption with regards to the laboratories that actually are supposed to test marijuana to tell you whether it has mold or bacteria in it. A lot of people think if you buy it at the store, well, at least you know it's safe. It doesn't have some kind of you know bacteria or fentanyl or additives. The reality is you don't know anything of what it has in it because these labs, it's all corrupt. They, these companies pay labs for the results that they want. And in my latest book, Smokescreen, I actually talked to some of these lab operators who admitted to me that the whole thing is a farce. Uh, I talked to former regulators in Colorado who told me they didn't have a handle on any of it. They had to kind of pretend that they did, but they didn't. And so, uh, you know, it's sort of like this idea that this is all neat and proper and done above board, and it's really anything but. That's good to know. Yeah, I've heard that regulation, the, the state of regulation when it comes to marijuana is just really, really bad. And I think I heard that from your book. So that that, that makes sense with this conversation. Now, I hate to be the bearer of a bad news, Kevin, um, but you are not going to be able to sit at the cool kids table uh, with this opinion, right? Uh, the public opinion and the uh, influencers that we all look up to are on the other side of this issue for the for the most part in, in many instances and as Smokey said from the movie friday weed is from the earth it was put it god put it here for you and me why can't you just chill out why is it so serious but but real question why is the idea that marijuana is harmless wrong well, uh, poison ivy is from the earth too, right? And we don't say go, you know, roll around in it. Uh, sharks are from the earth and we don't really want to play with great whites anytime soon, I don't think, unless you're trained maybe. So a lot of things are from natural earth. I wish, by the way, marijuana today was from the earth. Instead, it's completely engineered and genetically bred to be by man to be totally different than the original species of cannabis. That's why I don't even call it cannabis. I mean, a lot of people like to call it that because it sounds fancy. It sounds medical. It takes us some stigma away from it. The reality is it doesn't resemble cannabis. Cannabis has hundreds and hundreds of other ingredients in it. I'm not going to get into the science of it, but it has all these components. They're called cannabinoids, terp terpenoids, flavonoids, terpenes, I mean, flavonoids, all these other things. And the reality is we're talking about often very pure THC. And, uh, you know, I get that public opinion is going one way, but, you know, you weren't at the cool kids table 30 years ago if you thought smoking in restaurants was a bad idea. You weren't at the cool kids table 30 years ago if you thought smoking in airplanes was a bad idea or smoking at daycare centers. Uh, you weren't at the cool kids table 50 years ago if you even suggested that tobacco could cause lung cancer. So, you know, we make a lot of mistakes over time and that's okay. Uh, we learn from them. I think we're going to learn. I don't know when, but it'll happen, whether it's 30, 50, 60 years. I hope it's not longer than that. We're going to do a U-turn on this. We're, we just happen to be uh, right now caught in this tsunami of, you know, promotion. And it's a cool thing. I will tell you, 
people I speak to, in fact, many Democrats behind the scenes, they're very uncomfortable with this. Uh, I'm talking, you know, former top officials in the Obama administration, chiefs of staff, you know, progressive leaders even. Um, I just was able to talk to Secretary Clinton, who told me she thought it was a disaster. Uh, so you talk to a lot of people and they're not exactly for it. This is almost an issue where you have the extreme left and the extreme right. Don't forget about the Rand Pauls of the world. Don't forget about the Koch brothers who are huge donors to legalize. Okay, Don't forget about them on the right. It's not just the far left, but the far right and far left, like on so many issues, right? They're meeting together on this and driving that conversation and making it sound like you're crazy if you think that we shouldn't necessarily accept this. But I think there are a lot of people that are being quiet. They don't really think that they can talk outspokenly, but you know, they're DMing me on Twitter. They're meeting me for meetings in New York. They're having coffee with me in LA. And they're concerned because their kid, their cousin, their nephew, their brother themselves have a major marijuana problem that's led to psychosis, schizophrenia, um, that's led to suicide attempts. I mean, all of these issues that are happening, people are beginning to feel. So I think it'll, I think that backlash will happen. Can you talk a little bit, dig a little bit deeper into that psychosis and also the potential harm to children? Absolutely. So we have definitive studies about harm to children and things like psychosis for a lot of ages, really any many ages and not just kids. First of all, Lancet uh, published a groundbreaking article a couple of years ago based in the UK. So a lot of people say, oh, American research is biased. OK, it wasn't in America. It was in the UK. It was done by somebody who's actually a sir, uh, very well respected and his wife, extremely well respected. They have a big lab in London. They basically found that, that those who were using marijuana about 15% THC, which is really not that much in the US, 15% THC on a regular basis, they were five times, five times more likely to um, get psychosis than those who didn't use it. Uh, if you, uh, the suicide ideation, six times as likely. Um, so major mental health. And for kids, it's a huge concern because, you know, our brains are developing until about age 25 or 30. And so anything that interferes with that development, what, you know, whether it be alcohol or THC or whatever. And we have THC essentially receptors all over our brain and the rest of our body. That means that it affects those parts of the brain that we need for judgment and memory and cognition. Uh, A recent study showed that kids who use marijuana regularly um, were, they increased their chance to have an eight point IQ loss versus non-users. Eight points is from an average student to a below average student it's millions of dollars lost of lifetime income. Um, that's a lot, eight points. And, uh, you know, we're seeing this now with these studies that are coming out. Wow. This is a lot of good information, y'all. I hope you are paying attention. We will be right back in the Charge Politics Podcast. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast. We are interviewing Dr. Kevin Sabat. And we're learning a lot about this new marijuana industry. It's amazing to me that we fought so hard to get rid of big tobacco, but then kind of are, are, are welcoming in this uh, big marijuana uh, industry. But go ahead, Chris. It's, it's Chris's turn to ask the question. Yeah, so this is uh, really great uh, information, but one, a couple of things that I want to get to. First, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast and in the end campaign in general about uh, the idea of, of, of false dichotomies in politics. Uh, and I think we deal with that on this issue uh, because a lot of folks who 
enter into this conversation on the pro uh, legalization and pro commercialization side, uh, really put up that false dichotomy that basically, if you're not for complete legalization and commercialization, then you're like, you know, uh, opposed to you know, any kind of reform that you kind of support uh, mass incarceration, you want to see people in jail for small amounts, you know, possessing small, small usable amounts of marijuana. Uh, can you talk about something that you write about well in your book, which is this sort of spectrum uh, that we see on this this issue from from kind of like uh, uh, deregulation or regulation and, and legalization all the way to like commercialization? Can you talk about that spectrum? Absolutely. So people think that you... Either, you know, if you're not in favor of the legalization of marijuana, then you must want to lock up people in prison and criminalize them. And I, and I can tell you, I don't want to do that. I never wanted to do that. Uh, we, I don't think people using marijuana should go to prison. They shouldn't get criminal records. Uh, we have a huge incarceration issue in this country. I will say, though, maybe we can say this for another podcast. The incarceration rate that's embarrassing in this country is not driven by marijuana on any level. Uh, it's actually driven, in fact, by long sentences for violent crimes, as well as these kind of three strikes and you're out and truth and sentencing laws. They're not even all drugs just for drug possession. It's not a huge factor, but that's a, maybe another episode. Um, that being said, I don't think we should be locking people up uh, or giving them records. I think we should really focus on um, getting people help, but I also don't think we should just, you know, turn turn the other way and forget about it, uh, or legalize and normalize marijuana. So there's this there's, there's this false dichotomy that you either have to criminalize or legalize, and I don't I don't think that's true. You can decriminalize but educate. You can decriminalize but put people in treatment. You can decriminalize and still discourage. What's a good example of that? Speeding is a good example. We don't criminalize people for going 65 in a 50 mile per hour zone, but we discourage it through speed limits. We know that many people will speed nonetheless, and they get cited for it. And sometimes they have to go to traffic school for it. Or if it's a repeat offender, they have to do a lot of different things for to, to, to make amends for it. Um, but we still discourage it. And by the way, plenty of people speed and they don't get into a car crash. That's also not a reason to get rid of speed limits, right? Plenty of people use marijuana and they're fine. Not a reason to get rid of marijuana laws. I mean, people might be shocked. Most people who smoke cigarettes will not get lung cancer. That doesn't mean that it's not tied to lung cancer and we should just say that it's doesn't that association isn't there. Another analogy, most people who don't wear seatbelts will not die in a car crash. Does that mean that we go out and tell people not, not to wear seatbelts because you could probably get away with it? No, we discourage that behavior. So let's discourage marijuana through, you know, not allowing smoking in public, not allowing smoking in many places. I mean, unfortunately, right now, when I walk down the streets of New York City in Manhattan, the whole smell of Manhattan is turned into mar marijuana. That's what the whole city smells like now. And it wasn't like that before legalization. There's a palpable change. Um, that's because everyone is given a free pass that this is no big deal. So again, we've kind of gone from one extreme, Rudy Giuliani, you know, you're caught with a tiny resin of marijuana in your pocket when you're, you know, uh, jumping the turnstile of the subway, you're going to go to prison for four, you know, jail for five days or more because of that. We've gone from that to leadership in the city is encouraging marijuana use. They're saying that maybe we should plant it on top of the public housing building. I mean, it was, I don't know if it was a joke, but I mean, to go from that one extreme to the other, it's very typical of us in America, I think, mm -hmm. but uh, it's something that I think we need to really watch out for. And can you dig a little bit deeper into uh, 
what commercialization is? Yeah. So when I talk about commercialization, I talk about promoting. And, you know, this whole industry is something we call addiction for profit. Addiction for profit. What does that mean? It means that it, you are uh, making money off of the use of the heavy use of marijuana, but you don't need everybody to use it all the time. Just a certain percentage. The alcohol industry is like this. They make 70% of their sales come from 20% of their users or about 80%. So it's like an 80-20 ratio. It's the same thing with marijuana. You don't need everybody to use it. It's a small number of people, but you, it's all about making a lot of money. So that's that's the point is that it's about commercializing, promoting, advertising. You know, they, they're going on all kinds of uh, different social media platforms and advertising. Again, they're getting away with things that we wouldn't let lots of products get away with, but they're getting away with it right now. Interesting. Anybody who's familiar with, with this show is used to me giving rants. So, Kevin, you'll have to bear with me for a brief second. I have a little rant I'm, I'm going to go into because I've, I've really been frustrated. And one of the things that has really frustrated me, Kevin, is the narrative behind legalizing drugs in general. So we've been talking about legalizing marijuana, but there's also a narrative about legalizing drugs, period. Um, I've heard it from people that I even agree with on some things, people like Crystal Ball from Breaking Points, Joe Rogan and others. And the idea is that drugs, even hard drugs, aren't so bad, that in moderation, if you do it a certain way, that they can actually be fun. And I think that is such an irresponsible narrative. The truth of the matter is, I think it's a very privileged message. I think you have to be speaking from a place of privilege to even take that point of view. You even have Columbia professor Carl Hart trying to normalize heroin use. But when I look when I look at what drugs has done to my community, to the, to the black community, uh, the narrative, that particular narrative makes me sick. It makes me angry. And I just don't like any kind of effort to destigmatize drugs. Now, the argument that I hear from them is that it's not the drug use that messed up the community. It's the poverty that really caused the harm. But I think that if you're going to state that as a general fact, that it's wrong, that that's wrong. That's a lie. That's not the case in many in many different instances. That just isn't the case. Now, I will never downplay the role of poverty in the black plight. I won't downplay that there may be a connection sometimes between drug use and poverty, but drugs within themselves have played a very distinct role in my opinion. Many of the people in my family who have had their lives ravaged by drugs were not living in abject poverty. They're not people that I would consider be, to be impoverished, but it was after the drugs that they lost their job. It was after the drugs that their family fell apart and so on. And Chris can, he can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but everyone knows of some neighborhoods in black communities that were nice until crack came along. I'll give you another example. How many rap songs over the years have we heard about kid, the kid down the street who was smoking Sherm, which is PCP, and completely lost their mind, right? But now you have people in, in high places trying to act like these mind-altering drugs are fashionable, that they're cool, that they're designer. What's wrong Kevin, with the drug with drug legalization in general, like how, what what would you point out is is the big problem with that? Well, I so there's this whole word about stigma, and I don't think that drug users should be stigmatized because we want to get them help. We don't want them to be in shame. Too often, this has been done in darkness, uh, addiction. You hide it from people. It's kind of like how we treated breast cancer before, you know, Betty Ford. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, it, 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 so we need to, we need to understand that people who are using drugs need help. Um, that being said, there is something to stigmatizing the actual use of the drug, the actual drug, like we stigmatize tobacco. We stigmatize smoking, but not smokers. Uh, and when you do that, it's less acceptable. And what folks like Carl Hart out of Columbia and others are trying to do uh, is actually destigmatize the whole use of it and normalize it and say, listen, I use it and I'm fine. It's like Bill Maher talks about how many times he uses, has used pot in his life and how healthy he is. You know, he's used it, I think he said like you know, 50,000 times in the year, something crazy like that. Well, again, that's nice if you're a Hollywood star or a Columbia professor and you're able to kind of take that leave of absence if things go wrong. You can take that risk. You'll still get money in your account if things go a little bit south for a few weeks. That isn't the case for a lot of Americans and a lot of people. And so I think it's really irresponsible to talk about, you know, the whole idea of drugs as being totally no big deal. Again, even if many people use it and don't have a problem with it, it's still not a reason to do that. And um, I am concerned with that kind of destigmatization of the actual drug itself. The users, yes, we want to get them help. We don't want to stigmatize them. It's fear. We want to make sure that they understand that they're loved and there is recovery. We need to promote this idea of recovery. There are 40 million people in recovery. Uh, in this country or more, we need to keep promoting that. They're living examples that you can overcome addiction. It's not necessarily a lifelong disease that you will be with your entire life, no matter what you do. So there are ways that we can empower people. But by saying this is no big deal and normalizing it and commercializing it, we're not doing that. Yeah, I mean, you talk about playing with fire. It To me, it's such an ahistorical point of view. I mean, if you look over history, when opium comes into to places or when different drugs come into a community, they can destroy communities. And it's happened over and over again in history. So the idea that we would act like hard drug use can be OK is just uh, it's just unbelievable to me. I, yeah, I can't. No, you know, it is. It's, it's hard to understand that, why somebody would take that position. Yeah, no, it's well, people do because they used it. Um, they're bitter about people telling them not to use it. You know, when you attack someone's, you know, a lot of people, this is especially with marijuana, but even other drugs, it's it's really their, it's like a, it's like a religion in many ways for them. And you're attacking their way of life and they are, they get very defensive about it and start making all kinds of reasons and excuses about why. And frankly, book publishers love it. So someone like Carl Hart can get a megaphone. Um, because it's it sells books. I mean, it's controversial, right? It's really boring if he wrote a book saying heroin is bad. Um, how many people have said that? <laughs> Versus, hey, I'm a professor at Columbia. I'm successful. And heroin can be good, actually. And let me tell you about all the juicy times I used it with different friends and different presenters. And when I was um, you know, getting money from the government to study drugs, how I snuck some of those drugs home and used them. I mean, that's a juicy thing. That sells right, right. now in America today. Yeah. No, it does. It does. And we, we will be right back on the Church Politics Podcast. We're not done yet. We will be right back. Are you too progressive for conservatives and too conservative for progressives? As a Christian, do you find yourself feeling politically homeless? If so, then you're not alone. Listen, this is Justin Gibney, president of the Ann Campaign. And if you're a Christian who doesn't know a whole lot about politics or someone who knows a good deal about politics but wants to be more faithful in the public square, then you have to read the Ann Campaign's book, Compassion and Conviction. 
the end campaign's guide to faithful civic engagement that we published with InterVarsity Press. Whether you just want to understand the relationship between church and state, why Christians should engage politics at all, how Christians should engage partisanship, politics and race, advocacy and protest, or even civility, this is the book for you. It's very much Bible-centered. It's Bible study and small group friendly. There are questions and exercises after every chapter that give you a framework for engaging politics in a biblical way. So if you want to do it in a better way, get our book, Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast. Uh, Dr. Sabat, another question I have is a lot of times when we see this marijuana movement, what happened was justice was actually used as the reason to move forward with it. It, it, it was turned into a legalization became a justice issue. Can you talk a little bit about why that may be, be somewhat disingenuous when uh, when it comes to this issue in particular? Yeah, you know, it's amazing to me uh, to see guys I've been debating for 25 years telling me how great marijuana is all of a sudden um, in the last few years when there's been a little bit of a little bit of a greater understanding of issues of, of you know, BIPOC uh, that you that all of a sudden these, you know, rich white guys are putting on the civil rights buttons and saying that they're all about social justice now. Um, I find that very disingenuous. The reality is the push for this, the people making the money, the people benefiting are guys that look a lot more like me than they do you, Justin, and they are laughing really all the way to the bank. And by the way, they're, they tell us they can't go to the bank because it's illegal federally. There are plenty of banks they work with. So they're, they're, they are laughing all the way to the bank. And, um, you know, I think it's very disingenuous because when you look at the marijuana stores, where are they located? Where are they concentrated? They're actually concentrated in communities of color. They're concentrated in places uh, next to the liquor stores, payday loans. You can't find a grocery store for miles away, but you can find a liquor store and payday loan, lottery, cigarettes, and now weed. Um, that's not helping communities. And when you look at studies, you find that um, crime increases around areas that have marijuana dispensaries. You see property values go down. You see a lot of blight in the community. I've never heard of anybody go to a realtor and say, hey, I want to you know, invest somewhere great and live somewhere safe with my family. Can you find me a house near a pot shop? You know, you, that just doesn't happen, right? For a reason. Uh, and so these communities are bearing the brunt. Uh, you look at public housing these days, the issues of marijuana, secondhand marijuana smoke, there's more carcinogens than tobacco. So you look at secondhand, thirdhand marijuana smoke happening. This is an issue of environmental justice. And yet we're not really talking about that at all uh, because you have these, you know, the loud mouths that are making tons of money here pretending they're about social justice. I find it very disingenuous. If it was about social justice, they would agree with our partners like Teresa Haley from the NAACP Illinois and others who would be saying, uh, you know, let's inv invest in these communities. Why does it have to do with marijuana? Why is the only time we talk about licenses being given as a priority to black people when we're talking about weed? I mean, can there be another business that there's a priority or does it only have to be marijuana, which is a mind altering substance? Uh, you talk to James and Charmaine Hayes at Compton who have been 
tireless community activists in Compton, California, very good friends of ours. They they run a Sam affiliate down there. They have been pushing pot shops out of Compton, by the way, successfully for years. But the, you know, they're just two people there, and and I, we need them in every community. But they don't they don't exist in every community. And instead, what you have is the places that have power, the places with money. They're pushing out the pot shops. They don't want marijuana stores there, and yet they're voting for it on the statewide level, but they don't want it in their own backyard. They'll just push it somewhere else because they don't want to mess up their nice communities. That's an issue of justice. And it's, it's stuff we're not talking about enough. Yeah. And I can verify that I'm from Denver, Colorado, where we know a lot of this got going. And when I went back home, when you go to the hood, some of these places smell right. like marijuana, not in the suburbs. The suburbs are never right. smell that no. way, but in the yeah. hood, the whole neighborhood smells like marijuana because what maybe that's where the production is going on or whatever. But you get the same issues as you had before, even though people use the pretext of justice to try to push this forward. Last question. And and again, we really appreciate your time as an individual. If there's an individual out there listening to you in the audience and they want to do something about this, what can someone do to kind of push this to get this information out, to push this, this movement forward? Well, thank you for that. Well, first, arm yourself with facts. There's a lot of books out there. My first book is called Reefer Sanity, Seven Great Myths About Marijuana. And then my second book is called Smokescreen, What the Marijuana Industry Doesn't Want You to Know. Arm yourself with facts. Go to our website, learn about SAM. S-A-M, learnaboutsam.org. And uh, you can sign up to be a part of our movement and, and speak out on this. Uh, we need more tireless advocates. So um, please go check out our website. There's tons of resources there. If you happen to want to, um, don't have time, but you have resources, we're a nonprofit organization. Please consider a donation. We're a small but mighty team. We're the only um, staff in the D.C. area uh, you know, where we have a DC staff that's uh, not paid by the marijuana industry that's really focused on these issues of health and justice. Excellent. Excellent. Um, anything else that you would just want people to know about marijuana or, or just this conversation in general? Anything else you want to get out there? The, the, the last thing I'd say is just that, you know, look how long the tobacco industry duped us as an American people. They duped us for over 100 years. They told us smoking was no big deal. They said it didn't cause cancer, all these things. We knew they were lying. We found out they were lying when we, you know, we got found the receipts, right? We found the papers showing that they were lying. That took up 100 years for us to realize that. Why would we allow us to get, you know, fooled again with the marijuana industry? The marijuana industry is almost completely owned nowadays by tobacco and alcohol you know, conglomerates. That should tell you enough about where this is going and what the intentions are. So, you know, don't listen to the hype. Don't listen to random, you know, Reddit posts about pot by posted by people who love marijuana. Read the science for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Read the peer-reviewed science. Look for the receipts. You might be surprised what you find. Dr. Kevin Savitt, thank you so much again for joining us. We really appreciate a lot of good information that I think our audience is really going to appreciate. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Take care. Thanks. Yeah. Well, Ann Camp, as always, there's a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world politic with the boldness and compassion of Jesus Christ. Until next time, Ann Kemp. Well, I'll let you. Kingdom. Kingdom. Oh, Lord. I say kingdom.